Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to this special two-part edition of Manchester is Red, the Manchester United podcast from the Manchester Evening News. My name is James Robson, and in this special edition, I will be talking to Stuart Matheson, our long-standing chief Manchester United reporter. He's stepping down after 22 and a half years covering the club during what has been United's most successful period, uh, an incredible time in which he's seen them win two Champions League titles, reach four finals. He's seen takeovers, he's seen many of Sir Alex Ferguson's greatest years, some of the greatest players ever to play for the club. He's also seen the, the darker times when post-Fergie, during David Moyes' ill-fated reign, uh, Louis van Gaal and on to Jose Mourinho. Stu is an absolute gentleman. He is one of the most respected journalists covering any club throughout, throughout football, really, to, to give you an idea of just how respected he is. Sir Alex Ferguson, when learning at very short notice that the recent game against Crystal Palace would be his final covering United for the MEN, ensured that he was there to give a presentation and, and hand him a gift from the club just to show his own appreciation for the diligent manner in which Stu has covered United during that period. I really enjoyed talking to him, um, just reminiscing about, about the good old days, let's say. Um, I hope you enjoy it too. First off, your feelings about leaving the Manchester Evening News, having done it for 22 years? Yeah, 22 and a half years. Um... Well, I'm, I'm leaving with a heavy heart in many ways. I think it's the right time for me, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I've had a good innings and don't want to hold back these youngsters like you, James. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I'm, like I say, I am going with a heavy heart, but I, I just felt it was it was the right time now, and uh, and so yeah, I made the decision and um, very kindly allowed me to go. Twenty-two years. It's not quite as long as Fergie, <laughs> um, but you've outlived vast majority of other managers and certainly uh, outlived the likes of David Moyes, Louis van Gaal. I doubt Jose Mourinho will be there for, mm. for, tw- for 22 years either. Um, tell us first of all how you got the, how you got the job because what, something that is notable that maybe fans don't appreciate is that there's only ever been two chief United reporters since the Munich crash mm. which says really what, what a rare job it is really. Yeah and I think in fact even going even further back than that I think there's only been four designated Manchester United reporters for the evening news and obviously in the very very early years they didn't have designated mm-hmm. football reporters but I think there's only been four in the history so uh, you know I'm, I'm very proud to be one of that one of those uh, men um, how I got the job well I was freelancing for here you know in a previous job I'd uh, done a lot of United um, coverage and then I was freelancing for a while I came into the evening news and I was just doing loads of work all over the, all over the, um, the, the business in terms of uh, making up pages for the post bag, 
the features department for everything, doing shifts for the sports department. I was doing everything basically. And you replaced <laughs> David Meek? David Meek, yeah. Um, I knew David was going, um, but I didn't know I had a chance really. But apparently, the editor, Mike Unger, who was here then, had kept his eye on me and took me in one day and said, What, what do you like to do the best? Because I've done so much for the, mm-hmm. the He said, What do you like to do? That's well, football reporting is what I do best, what I enjoy best. He says, I'm glad you said that because I want you to be David Meek's successor. He said, what do you think? <laughs> and, he, and he said, stop kissing me and give me an answer. Will you? <laughs> so I, I actually knew uh, a good uh, four months before it could be officially announced. So right. I couldn't tell him apart from my wife and my mum and dad, but I, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody else. So uh, I had to sit on that secret for a little while. And yeah, when David left, um, I was plunged right into it. And, uh, the, 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 the roller coaster started. Well, I hope I'm not betraying a confidence here, but you took the job as United reporter despite being a lifelong City fan, didn't you? I, I think a lot of people nowadays, I know it from myself and a lot of our reporters on our desk, will get these sort of comments on social media and what have you. As soon as you write anything even remotely negative, then you're obviously a fan of another club or you hate this club. Yeah. I think the very fact that you're a City fan, I don't think many people would have accused you of being a City fan, shows how fair how fair you've been, and it shows that it is possible to do that, isn't it? Yeah, it, and it is possible, and, and one of the big surprises of my last game at Palace was uh, before the game, Sir Alex Ferguson coming in, and he outed me on air there, <laughs> uh, as he presented me with a United shirt, he said, I can't believe I'm making a presentation to a blue. There's a little bit of colourful language in the industrial Fergie language in there as well. So he put it out there. Um, but also he said to me at that point, you've always been fair. And as, as you just mentioned there, I think if you are fair, then people will accept it. And I like to think, you know, I very quickly learnt in this job that, um, you know, you can't please everybody. So there'll be a faction of people who say uh, you're too negative. There'll be a faction who say you're too with the club, and then there'll be a faction that you know agrees agrees with everything you say, sort of thing. So you can't please everybody, but um, like you say, I do think fairness and fairness and honesty goes a long, long way. And um, I don't think I never really had a lot of comeback about being a City fan because it was quite out there that I was, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of that because, um, you know, some people couldn't do that if, you, if you're so in with the club. But, you know, I became a journalist when I was 17 and as much as I was a City fan at that point. Once I became a journalist, a football journalist, I suddenly realised actually there are other teams out there. Mm. People who are possibly hated as players, I got to know them personally and I realised they're decent guys. I realised they were very good footballers elsewhere. And I also realised some of my heroes weren't, you know, they always say, don't get to meet your heroes. I, I kind of realised that on a few occasions as well. So, unusually, and it doesn't happen to everybody, and I appreciate that, but unusually, my allegiance kind of went almost straight away that I got into the business, and uh, I think that stood me in good stead in the end because, you know, I wasn't that bothered. Sometimes I think the things fans don't fully appreciate is that when we do this, the job we do, it the professionalism takes over, doesn't yeah. it? And I would imagine that when you were defining yourself, or even now defining yourself, um, while while you would still consider yourself a City fan, I'm sure, uh, at heart, if you were listing the things Stuart Matheson is, it would journalist would come probably a long way above 
Manchester City fan, wouldn't it? Yeah, and and, and let's be let's be honest. If um, if you weren't professional professional about doing the Manchester United job for the Manchester Evening News, and I let early allegiance take over, I wouldn't have been in this job for twenty two years. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have been in it for twenty two weeks, twenty two minutes, whatever, because you know people wouldn't accept it. And um, you know that's what you've got to realise. You you are walking as the local man. You are walking a very very thin tightrope anyway so to, to, to have that burden as well you'd be falling off this tightrope pretty quickly so yeah professionalism first it's got to be otherwise you, 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 you're shattered you're finished I know you had your fallouts with Fergie over the years we'll discuss that in, in a bit but did he ever mention the fact that you were you were a blue no uh, he didn't and I, I until last Saturday against Palace <laughs> Saturday against Palace I didn't realise that he really knew and he, you know he never mentioned it and you know in, in that time I covered many many derbies had to speak to him after after derbies and things like that and it was never mentioned um, so he obviously never thought it was an issue even though he may have is- had issues with things you'd written yeah he yeah. never thought it was down to that and I suppose that's a measure that you've, you've done the job right absolutely it? yeah so yeah he, he never mentioned it he never <laughs> even in, in even in jest he never mentioned it but I do think he knew very very early on um I've got a feeling Brian Kidd actually told him. Right. <laughs> That's my suspicion. But uh, you know, Kidd was he played for City as well at one yeah. point, as well as United. So uh, and he's there now. Um, so yeah, no, it, it never, it was never ever an obstacle with, with, with Sir Alex Ferguson, which you know was great really because it was bad. And it was it was a difficult enough job anyway. But to have had that as as a in the middle of it all would have been would have been quite intolerable. But uh, no, he was fine about it. What makes you think Brian Kidd mentioned it to him? I, can't, I think someone told me. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember what it was mm-hmm. now, but I'm sure someone let it slip once that Kiddo had mentioned it to him. So, but yeah, you know, fair play. Um, as long as it didn't prove any problem, which it never did, so I'm fine about it. So take us back, 1995. Um, you weren't coming in at a time when... Well, I suppose, was it... Um, was it after United lost the title to Blackburn, or was it the '95? Was it the season? It was that. After it was that, that. Season, it was that season that summer. I actually shadowed David Meek for only only a fortnight, um, really. So I did a couple of games towards the end of that season, and obviously the two final games were the game at Upton Park mm-hmm. against West Ham. Um, so that's a baptism of fire. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then the the, the Wembley final against Everton. Right. So they were so, so close to winning a second double. I mean, uh, they'd won it in 94. And very, very close. I mean, the chances they had at Upton Park, you know, was unbelievable. Didn't play brilliantly at Wembley, but could still have won it. So, yeah, so they kind of, you know, they, they lose, lose a second double. On the back of that, then United, uh, then uh, Mark Hughes leaves. Yeah, I'm thinking it's a, such a turbulent summer oh, wasn't it yeah well it's famously called the summer of discontent yeah and yeah so Hughes left Kanchelskis Andre Kanchelskis left and Paul Ince left and uh, yeah, I did a lot of stories with Paul Ince at the time you know and I was I was hoping he would stay because I mean he was a good contact for one uh, and, and B I just realised the turmoil that was going to follow you know because I say it's summer of discontent and uh, and then unfortunately the MEN didn't do me any favours at all by running a poll 
saying should should Manchester United sack Sir Alex Ferguson. So welcome to the job. You've just yeah. lost three Thanks. of your best players. <laughs> You've just missed out on a on a double in excruciating yeah. circumstances. Absolutely. And we're we're asking the viewers, the, the readers, sorry, yeah. if Fergie should lose his job, and you're the new man in the post. Yes. So exactly. what's that like? It was. I mean, I just thought, what what the heck have I actually dropped myself <laughs> into here? It, it, it was quite. It was very pressurised and very uh, stressful, to be honest. I mean, people say, oh, it's a great job doing Manchester United. Not when that sort of thing. Because <laughs> even before a ball had been kicked to the next season, I actually felt it was my fault that listening to some... You know, the, the, the Independent Manchester United Supporters Association, Musa, was setting up, a, just set up at the time, and they were on my back and all this. And I remember one of them actually saying to me, um, I think City had sat their manager that summer as well, and they, they said... Well, at least they sacked their managers and they haven't got a manager now and they can look for a new one. I'm thinking, is, it, is this what it's like? Because, you know, Fergie'd only just missed out on, a, mm -hmm. on, a, on the double and there was a lot of reasons for Hughes, Ince and Kinchelski's going, a lot of, lots of reasons. Um, so, yeah, it felt pretty stressful. So I couldn't wait for football to start. First game, away at Aston Villa, lose 3-1. My first time I'd done a running report for the pink, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But the result again, I'm thinking, oh no, this is you know they're, they're going to nosedive. You never win anything with kids. Exactly, that's the Alan Hansen quote. Yeah, um, so it, it really was an absolute baptism, baptism of fire. Um, Fergie, of course, didn't like the poll, and and saw it as a bit of a an opportunity, as he said to me, to um, cut the tie not cut the ties entirely with the evening news but not be have this cosy relationship he'd had with the evening news as he as he said at the expense of uh, the national newspapers and he put them he felt he put himself in a difficult position with them to keep on board with the evening news so and he had a very good relationship with david Mead. he did yeah absolutely yeah he'd yeah. been very supportive in those early years absolutely yeah so this straight away there's a new man coming in so he might be thinking right i can I can step back a bit, exactly. and then he's given a perfect excuse the, when this part My words, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, of course, by that time, you know, Fergie had become, whereas David had a spell with him where he was supported of him because Fergie needed that support, mm -hmm. he'd become bomb-proof by the time I got there because he'd won a double, he'd won mm -hmm. the title after 26 years and all that. Um, he didn't really need the Evening News and me like he used to, to, to back him up with things, so... It was an opportune time for it, and we, we, we handed it on, on a plate. And um, As someone just coming into the job, because I remember that summer, and I remember the general feeling being, he's lost it, he's lost it. Oh, yeah, he's, yeah. Why on earth is he getting rid of these players? Paul Ince, the best midfielder in the country. Yeah. Mark Hughes, an absolute legend, and Kinchelska's a wonderful player. He, he, he's lost it here. Mm. Um, but did you feel, having only just taken over the job, comfortable enough to write... To question those decisions because as time's gone by okay we can accept that all yeah. worked out really well didn't yeah, it yeah, but yeah. at the time that you can't imagine the same thing happening now could you you know if you think who would what would be the equivalent united now in in one summer getting rid of three players like that yeah, like, yeah. you know yeah. it's it's pogba yeah lukaku and you know who, who knows else yeah yeah so De Hay, let's say yeah. um so did you feel comfortable questioning it what it, in those days, it wasn't so much a, the paper wasn't so opinion based as it is now. Right. It was more factual. You know, that was your first job. 
find out the facts. I didn't. I didn't really have to sort of say, uh, splash across the back page. Fergie's lost it. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's this. He shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be doing that. My job then was simply to find out from. Fer- All right, it was only Fergie's side of the story, but you know, if I could quote him and that he gave it, then your job was done really. Um, so my job was to find out from Ferguson exactly what the story was behind all this and you know that's that's what we printed and um, it was then up to people to believe it or believe or not believe it and you know if the guy is giving you that you can't not believe it in some ways mm. because if you say well I don't believe that and you know, this that and the other well you, you wrecking the relationship straight away and the evening news wanted a relationship with Manchester United and Sir Alex Ferguson so that was I'm talking about the tightrope before that is the tightrope you had to you know to, to tread really I mean people might say oh, that's a cop out well no it wasn't it was actually providing the facts as we would told them and as we you know and if we heard something different I would always have to put it past the chairman or Sir Alex and Fergie as he was then um, and that's just the way we went about it so and at that time you wanted opinions so it, you know it was, I wouldn't say it was easier but mm. you didn't have to put yourself out there put your head above the parapet quite the same as you do now. So at that time you did have regular contact with, with Fergie, mm. with uh, Martin Edwards at the time it would have been chairman. So what was their their take on it? I know we've, we've heard since in, in Fergie's books his reasons for, for letting those players go. He had to let the, the young players come through, the, the golden generation. And yeah, too. well... Well, I mean, that was that was it. I mean, it was he, was... he was saying we've got to give chance to people like Beckham and yeah. Scholes. And there was a bit of background stories with 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 Ince. He'd become a little bit um, arrogant in, yeah. in, in the way Fergie saw it, mm-hmm. questioning things, you know, his position and all that. Um, Mark, I think, had already signed a contract to leave or was going to stay, and then things changed. So that wasn't re- that was more... Mark's decision than, uh, than the club, I think, if I remember rightly. Uh, and then Kanchelskis also had his problems, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, been well documented. So there was there was a background stories to that. It wasn't just the fact that he said, hang on a minute, I don't, I'm, I'm going to try something different here. But I do remember him telling me, for instance, and the thing that convinced him to to uh, to go with these kids, I mean, apart from all that background stuff, which probably helped, was... Uh, Ajax won the European Cup that year when it was Van der Sar, uh, the young Van der Sar and uh, Patrick Kluivert and Clarence Seydorf and uh, a lot of young, Mark Overmars, all those kind of young people, the De Boer twins. Um, they were a young side and, and they won the final. Fergie was at it and I remember him telling me in the summer, I saw that and I, it convinced me that young players, if, if they're good enough, they can do it. And, and that's why he thought, right, okay, then we've got these few problems with these players, let's bring them in. Because, you know, it's, it's all right for people at the time to say, oh, he's lost it. And yeah, and I can understand why they're saying that. But he knew what these lads were like. He knew how good these kids were. And if, if he'd have, you know, if, if he'd have put a block in, he, he was very keen on always unblocking the system to let mm-hmm. it flow. And, um, you don't want to block that system to, and then they tread water. And could you imagine if David Beckham had left and become the superstar? Fergie would have been absolutely, you know, coated for that kind of yeah. thing. And the same with the other skulls and all that. So he knew the talent there. And you talk to anyone around the club at that point, everybody knew it. So it, 
it wasn't a major gamble at all. It was just really what not a lot of people expected. Now, people might not know, but these days our, our only real access to managers, uh, uh, the pre-match press conferences and post-match mm. press conferences. But back then you would be calling him on a daily basis? Yeah, pretty much so, yeah. So yeah. did you call him on the Monday after uh, Hansen's famous You Never Win Anything With Kids? Yeah, well, I will have done. Do, do you remember what his, <laughs> I, what his reaction was? I can't, I, I can't remember now, um, to be honest. I, I would have to go through the archives <laughs> to realise. But, uh, yeah, I would have had to have asked him about that. And uh, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes he actually did skip the, the issue. I mean, you know, he, he didn't react to everything. Mm. Um, and that was a frustration at times. Uh, I don't know why he didn't react to certain things. For instance, the the uh, the famous Kevin Keegan rant. Uh, I, I'd love it if we beat you in '96. Uh, that season, wasn't it? Yeah, that season. Um, it was all over everywhere. Yeah, I'm heading back from Newcastle that night, and you, 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 you it was not quite like the, the uh, Twitter or anything like that now. But you know, it was uh, it was we knew what had gone on, and it was the story was growing and growing. I phoned Fergie in the morning. I said. Uh, What's your reaction to this uh, Kevin Keegan rant now? What do you mean? What's Have you not heard what was going on? No. Don't know. No, nothing. Didn't know anything about it. And you believe that? I didn't. I think he knew that I knew he'd seen it. And I knew that he had seen it. It was just one of those, he clearly just didn't want to get involved in it. And so, yeah, again, a little bit of a cop-out to both, but I had to write the Fergie was tight-lipped about <laughs> the incident. So... You know, that was the frustration. Sometimes he wouldn't do, wouldn't do things, and then other days, you know, it could be an outpouring, and you get a great story. You just never knew what you were going to get with him, basically. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you say, I couldn't say to him, "Oh, come on, Alex, of course you're silly. Just tell me what." You, you know, <laughs> even if he'd done it in jest, he, he wouldn't have backed down. He, he was just adamant. He, he hadn't seen it and didn't want to talk about it, and that was it. So, um, tell us because. Yes, you used to ring, used to ring him on a daily basis, but he'd also try to avoid you sometimes, wouldn't he? When you rang him, and you found uh, an ingenious way to get to get around <laughs> it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I think it was it was him wanting to sort of stop these uh, cosy little chats uh, every every morning. And when they moved to Carrington, it was um, he, he asked him for his because I had his number when they were at the cliff I had his personal number and his car phone number as they had in those days and they all petered out eventually and then moved to the Carrington I said can I take your number is that okay I haven't got a personal number here thinking what <laughs> you've just built you have just on the back of your success you've got you've helped build this state of the art training route and you haven't got <laughs> so I didn't believe him uh, but what could I say you know, again, you can't say, come on, give it me, sort of thing. Anyway, uh, a few weeks later, when it was, I was at Carrington seeing a player and I needed to see the manager about uh, some injury problem. So I asked one of the guys who's, who was kind of early, early day security, you might call it, there, and uh, I said, can you give the manager a, a ring for me? and see, see if he can just give me a minute. I just need to ask him something. He said... Oh yeah, go on then. So I'm sat there with this, stood there with this guy. He gets the phone, and as he punches it in, he actually says the numbers out loud. <laughs> so the manager, oh, uh, what, 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 that, 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 that. I think, oh great, so I've got it in my head. 
and I knew it was easy to remember because he was just one away from his secretary who I had to phone every day so um, whenever I have to go through his secretary by this point if she was not available and I needed him desperately I would ring Sir Alex on this direct number and when he answered the phone I always said um, oh Alex oh right I said sorry I thought I was getting through to Lynn so I must have hit the wrong number and he went aye 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 what, what do you want so I did that once about three more three four months later I had to do it again uh, oh right okay a year later I'm not sure this is no word of a lie a year later I did it and he went I know your little game. You did this. You've done this three times in the last year, and he knew exactly how many times I'd done it. And uh, you know, and that was it. I couldn't. I couldn't use that trick anymore. <laughs> so, would you say your relationship with him generally over the years was was a good one? Because you've had to go from that relationship of talking to him almost whenever you wanted to it gradually getting less and less and yeah. less to. In his final years, it was a case of you'd see him at a press conference, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I, I would. I like to think it was a good relationship, and as I say, when he when, he, when, I, when I left, when he presented me with the shirt and everything, he said I was fair and he'd enjoyed the relationship. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I, there was a lot of things to be honest that I couldn't write that he told me. Um, you know, th those words when he used to say, "This is between you and I," you're thinking, "Oh, I'm going to hear some gold dust here." But knowing full well you couldn't mm. write it because um, because that would have been me finished with him and uh, at that point we still had to you know have this relationship so um, so there's a lots of time so you know he did trust me um, not to write it so he did tell me these things um, I actually wish I could remember most of them now, <laughs> but I, I even now wouldn't I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say it um, but you know that that relationship did start to did not not decline for anything we I did personally, but I know when we uh, when the mainstream news covered in depth the um, the rebel um, breakaway FC United, which was a story you know you, you can't ignore it, mm -hmm. um, but we did do an awful awful lot and some of it was very anti Sir Alex Ferguson as well and he, he just, felt it was imbalanced didn't he absolutely yeah yeah and. Did you feel it was imbalanced? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, and I argued against it because they were getting as much space as Manchester United at, at that time, yeah. which, you know, as, as good a story as it was, I don't think it warranted as much as we gave it then. But, you know, that wasn't my decision and I had to put up with it. And um, But that directly affected your job, didn't it? It did, yeah, because he just said, look, if it's nothing to do with you. And he made that very, very plain. He said, but while your paper is doing that, is covering them as they are then I don't want anything to do with it I did talk him round and I said look, I look eventually uh, after a few weeks I said, look can I not just say ring you once a week and he said right okay then once a week that's all um, arrange it with the press officer when you're going to do it so I spoke to Dialogue who was the, uh, Dennis's daughter who was the press officer and we, uh, I said look probably Tuesday would be a good day for me she said right I'll, um, I'll go to the manager and say on Tuesday the day she went back to the manager to confirm what I wanted to do and everything we ran another massive massive FC United piece that was it out the window and we lost that we that lost was it forever that was it yeah, yeah. Never, never, never to be restored and um, yeah I, th I think it was a big miss because alright you're not you're not going to get exclusive every day I mean that's fair enough you, you can't expect that 
even at a club like Manchester United, something big doesn't happen every single day, and some things they'll want to keep in house and they'll want to announce themselves. But nevertheless, I think to have the ear of uh, and the words of Sir Alex Ferguson on a pretty regular basis was should have been something we we cherished and it was gold, but we we threw it away and uh, like I say, never to be never to be restored, which was. So it was, then it was just press press conferences and and that's so that was it. How difficult is it for you as a journalist to go from having this intimate relationship with him and someone who I suppose is a very human person to you because you would have seen him through dark times and through the great mm-hmm. times to at the end he was this absolutely untouchable figure, as famous a name as there was in world sport, was it? How, I suppose how strange is that to be so removed from him having been so close to him and how difficult was it in terms of just doing your job? Well the job yeah absolutely did become more difficult because it, it, you know you um, you were just getting what everybody else got to that point where we had the advantage of getting something different something fresh that uh, you know the national papers followed up every time virtually um, so yeah and it was frustrating and I was I was, I was quite angry about it because uh, you know you bitter towards him or towards not the towards situation? Me, no, no, just the situ- whole situation because, mm. you know, I'm the type of person, and maybe it's not a great thing to be, but I could always see two sides of a story. And to be honest, if I'd have been in Sir Alex Ferguson's shoes, I wouldn't want to be taking a phone call every morning from me. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because sometimes there's nothing to say, and, you know, and you know, so you, you have your moods, you don't want to talk about something and you've got somebody badgering away, pecking your head about it. So, you know, I, I could see why he did it and all that. So it was the whole thing, really. It was just, I just, I just thought we threw away something that was, you know, was, was very, very uh, valued and we should have valued it and, say, cherished it. Um, to be thrown and then to just have to run with the, with, with the, with the pack, essentially, although I still had contacts in the club and still had... Um, the, the the chief executive and all that it wasn't the same and um, yeah it was it was it was frustrating more than anything else. Your best experience coming United, I think I know the answer to this. Well, it has to be that ten day period at the uh, the end of the the treble season. I mean, it's what any football journalist would want to do. You know, you you know you reporting on an FA Cup final win, you're reporting on a last day Premier League title win and when they've got a goal down and then you go to, you know, the biggest club sort of tournament in the in the world, in Europe, uh, the Champions League final in a lovely city like Barcelona, fantastic state, iconic stadium like the New Camp. All out the game wasn't brilliant from the United's point of view, but then that sensational finish. That ten days was just unbelievable. It was exhausting because we actually did two hundred over two hundred extra pages in the evening news for the evening news with supplements and pullouts and all that kind of thing. So it was absolutely exhausting. And um, but I won't swap it for the world because it, who wouldn't? That's what you want to do, you know. And that's what I always wanted to do. You might call me a big time Charlie, but I always wanted to to do the big the big occasions. Yeah. That's what I, I loved and. Uh, it didn't come better than that. Now, I remember the commentary, Clive Tilsley famously saying, United must score, they always score. Mm-hmm. But in stoppage time, when they're losing 1-0, it 
did you, even having seen that season and the incredible season it was, the comebacks, did you think there was any chance of United turning it around? Not really, no, because you know, the Germans are the Germans. They, they know how to, generally speaking, know how to yeah. hold on to a lead. And as good as United were at doing that, then you, know, you just kind of think... It wasn't as if they were playing well that no. well, you know. If they'd no. been playing well, but would have been a bit unlucky or something like that, you'd think, oh, actually, if they just keep going, and they will, they will knock them down. But no, it didn't, didn't really occur to me. And I always remember, I was some behind me was a lad from the London Evening Standard who was covering the game for the Standard, and he leant over just after the ninety minutes and the three minutes went up, and he patted me on the back, said, "No, mind, Stuart, another time." <laughs> and, I, and I kind of went, yeah. And uh, three minutes later, I mean, yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, people say that it's very easy to say this pinch me moment. Yeah. I was looking at him, think, when they were collecting the trophy and the ticket tape going, I think, I can't believe this has happened. It, it, it just wouldn't go. Into, fortunately, in those days, we, we were a new, an, an evening newspaper where we did all our copy the next, well, through the night, that night. And. Um, so it wasn't quite a rewrite that some of the national dailies. Yeah, you would have been surrounded by people who were oh, devastated yeah, 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 in a state yeah, of panic. Yeah, absolutely. And I've still got the actually my notebook to this day where all I put on it is Solskjaer. That's there's no description. I always did, used to write a description <laughs> and go, all I put is Solskjaer. And I, I didn't see the goal properly until about four or five o'clock in the morning the next day when I was flicking through the channels in, in this Spanish hotel trying to find it so I could actually describe it properly <laughs> in the paper and um, yeah it was I mean I was I don't know I stayed awake that well I suppose the adrenaline gets you through yeah. but it was uh, it was a, it was an absolutely unbelievable occasion unbelievable. one of my favourite stories from you from that season uh, like you say you were working at an evening paper then so you didn't have the deadline of uh, 11 o'clock or mm. whatever it was like the rest of the guys out there did but on a Saturday you would have those sort of deadlines when you when you were writing what we used to call what we used to call runners for the for mm. the old the old pink that we had mm. and a runner do you want to explain what a runner is first of all yeah it's right I mean basically when I was doing the pink I would have an open line to our copy taker uh, in the office uh, mine was, was Brenda and actually Brenda was an old family friend I used to her son was, was a great mate of mine when we were at primary school together in, in Burnage um, so yeah you had your copy tape and basically you, you rang her up as soon as the game started really and she'd just be on the end of the phone and, and you would dictate as things were happening and uh, so that was a runner so from first whistle to last you were just telling her what was going on and, uh, and then at the end you'd, you'd stick a, a, yeah, an to, intro on it and, that's right and, yeah. and about, and about, it was about 20 minutes ago you'd stick an intro on it yeah. now you, the, the game I'm thinking about because I'm sure you know what it is yeah. uh, was at the City Ground wasn't yeah, it and United were United 4-0 up at the time 4-1 four, four, up 4-1 up against Forest and yeah. Fergie decides to throw on Solskjaer for the last few minutes yeah yeah so yeah. you, you, you carry well on. by that point at 4-1 I had written the intro that was going to go in the, in the in the pink and I think Andy Cole scored twice that day and at the time I think there was a bit of an England issue with, with Keegan I remember it was a Keegan um, and Keegan was at the game or the England manager where it was at the time I think it was Keegan was at the game so I wrote you know, Andy Colson two goal message to uh, the England manager Kevin Keegan as Manchester United romped away at, uh, at the City ground against Forest winning 4-1 blah 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 Solskjaer comes on so I said to Brendan oh um, Solskjaer's come on and he scored a goal 
He said, all right, um, we had a very, a, a veteran sub uh, uh, who did, <laughs> the, did the copy, we won't <laughs> name him, but very, very well respected and a, and a lovely, lovely man. And she says, oh, it's okay, so-and-so will uh, we'll sort it out for you, we'll just write it in. Right, okay. The goal goes in. Well, Solskjaer scored again, Brenda. All right, yeah, so he says it's okay, he'll sort it out. All right, okay. So I'm thinking he's probably doing more writing than I am here. He gets a hat trick. I said, look, Brenda, I said, he's got a hat trick now. I said, this is, this is probably the intro. She said, all uh, right, hang on a minute. No, he says it's okay, he'll write it. Don't you worry, man, to just kind of, just, we'll just leave it as it is. I said, all right, okay. Scores a fourth. Look, Brenda, I think this really is worth a new intro now. I'll have to write something. And she says, no, he, he said he's still all right. Don't worry about it. I said, okay. So I'm thinking, well, this, this guy's rewritten fantastic intro. I thought, that's good. Quite no problem. I drive home from Nottingham, went to the uh, to the garage near where I live, picked up the pink. I think it was my in- original intro about Andy Cole. And then the second paragraph said, and Solskjaer scored United's fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth. <laughs> and I thought, well, I wouldn't have written it like that myself. But anyway, um, yeah, I'll never forget that. In those days, we didn't have Twitter, so you wouldn't have got the, no, no, the instant not. abuse that you <laughs> yeah. would have got to, yeah. today for that. Yeah. How can you not mention Solskjaer in the intro? <laughs> yeah. Would have probably been. So, so after 99, um, which was... Yeah, that, that would still be Fergie's crowning glory, mm. wouldn't it? And of course, he went on and had great success for a few more years after that. Tell us what it was like then to cover what were the dark years. It seems ridiculous to call it the dark years. He mm. had the temerity to go three seasons without winning the title, <laughs> didn't he? And you know, yeah. that's an absolute sackable offence. I think in that he only went. Was it? It was only one or two seasons without actually winning a trophy, wasn't that's it? Right, yeah. In between yeah. it, he won the yeah. the League Cup, didn't yeah. he? But I mean, during that time, it, it, it's quite a tumultuous period in United's history because he's retired and then not retired. Mm. He's come back out, hasn't he? Um, Beckham's gone and mm. uh, he's building this new generation, isn't he? But the, it was a time when Wenger has his invincibles and they, um, Mourinho comes in with Abramovich's money and yeah. starts steamrolling the, the league. And there was a lot of talk about Fergie's yesterday's man, wasn't there? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and in the background, well, not even the background, in the foreground to all that was stories like uh, Rio Ferdinand's missed drugs test, mm-hmm. um, the horse row, the Rocket Gibraltar row with yeah. McManus with Fergie, all those kind of things. Um, a second takeover, and I've done the first one when Sky B Sky B tried to take over, which weren't. I, I, I hold my, you know, I hold my hands up. I, I, I'm a football journalist. I didn't like things like I didn't like doing mm-hmm. things like that, financial things or, or takeovers or, you know, l- legal issues like the um, Rock of Gibraltar thing. I found I was quite uncomfortable writing that. I could knock out a, a football story, you know, with my eyes shut. But they would take me forever because I'd have to make sure. Correct. So I, I didn't enjoy that period at all. And 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 with it was, as you say, was other people coming out to challenge United, United not looking quite as good as they were. Um, the football wasn't so bad in that, and this sounds a bit weird, but it made a change to write something mm. different because I'd, all, all I'd really written about for my entire career at the end was glory, glory, Man United. And, and there does come a point where what, what else can you say? You know, mm-hmm. how, how can you word this? How can you say this? Um, so sometimes it was it was quite. Um, you need the lows to appreciate the highs, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, 
had new words to learn, like defeat and, <laughs> and, and demise and uh, dreadful and all things like that. So in that respect, it wasn't too bad, but it, it, you're right, it was a tumultuous time and more the off-field off things I found very, very difficult. And the did you think he were released? Do you think he was past it? Did that ever cross your mind? Because Wayne uh, brought... Well, I suppose the new brand of football had actually come in the, that 97 season. Yeah. 97, 98. When yeah. I think, I think the thing was that... I won't say past it, but... You know, you're getting younger um, continental European managers who came with different ideas entirely. Fergie was very much a traditionalist and everything. Although, you know, I, one, of, one of the big things I think is he's, he managed to manage successfully in the pre-Premier League era and the, and, the, and the Premier League era. So he'd taken in, you know, when the, the players weren't, weren't the, the commodities they were to when they become the, the strength of the player and all that. Um, so, you know, he, he did two eras. And, I, you know, when you talk about the likes of great managers like Ryan Clough, um, Bob Paisley, uh, Bill Shankly and people like that, they only did it in one era, you know, and it was mm. the era they were comfortable in, the traditional era, shall we say. Fergie managed to do both. Um, but nevertheless, there were, you know, there was a, an, an element of, uh, of these young with new ideas, new ways of going about things. But, you know, as much as you might say, yeah, Fergie was living in the past and, you know, uh, maybe you'd think, you know, perhaps they do need freshening up. He did manage to keep with keep up with them, mm. uh, and he changed. You know, he, he changed his style, his the way he thought about things, and he did embrace that. You know, the their kind of um, ideas. That was one thing about him that you know he, he didn't stagnate in his ideas. He could all. He, he might have been the most successful manager ever, but he was prepared to listen to and learn from other people. <coughs> you know, like um, Carlos Queiroz. Randy Mullenstein, Steve McLaren before him came with loads of fresh ideas and also from other managers and I think that is why Fergie was so successful for so long he didn't he wasn't entrenched in a in a traditional era but you know you know when you get to 70 uh, you know there is an, an element then of you know can you still change and I suppose towards the end uh, before he retired it was creeping in, I think, you know, perhaps they just do, do need something a little bit different. In some ways, I, I look at that period, that his last period of success, mm-hmm. as maybe his, his greatest, really, when you think the obstacles he had to overcome. The, Marine, the combination of Mourinho and Abramovich looked mm. unbreakable, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I know that eventually Abramovich got rid of Mourinho, but Fergie had already toppled him, hadn't mm. he, by that point? Yeah. And then you've got um, City and all their money, and he, he fights back against that, doesn't he? Yeah. It, Absolutely, with a team that, you know, um, that final team certainly, yeah, yeah were good, <clears throat> but they weren't, they weren't as exhilarating and uh, as they used to be. They were more um, the ground out results rather than the flair had gone a little bit, um, you know. But but you know again. This sounds like a bit of a Fergie love fest, doesn't it? But We're going to move on to other managers. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. There won't be as much love for those, I'm <laughs> no. sure. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of, to me, to, to do what he did with a team that I don't think were as good as... Um, I mean, people were even writing, is this the worst Fergie team ever? Well, I suppose, in some ways, they weren't as good. I mean, that sounds a bit dramatic, the worst, but they weren't as good as they were. 
but to still win the title against these new younger managers and the money that was flowing around because United's money wasn't flowing around and whether it was his fault or not the United weren't spending the money they were spending now so it did it say on the shoestring well on a bit of a budget tight budget it might have been self-inflicted tight budget um, so to do what he did was remarkable but I do think he probably got out at the right time remember if you want all the latest episodes of Manchester is Red you can find them by subscribing to iTunes and Audioboom.